Chapter 1, verses 14 through 18. Of Catina Aria, commentary in the four Gospels collected out of the works of the Fathers. Gospel of St. John, by St. Thomas Aquinas. Verse 14. And we saw his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Chrysostom. Having said that we are made the sons of God, and in no other way than because the word was made flesh, he mentions another gift, and we saw his glory, which glory we should not have seen, had he not by his alliance with humanity become visible to us. For if they could not endure to look on the glorified face of Moses, but there was need of a veil, how could so soiled and earthly creatures like ourselves have borne the sight of the undisguised divinity, which is not vouchsafed even to the highest powers themselves? Augustine, or thus, in that the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, his birth became a kind of ointment to anoint the eyes of our heart, that we might through his humanity discern his majesty, and therefore it follows, and we saw his glory. No one could see his glory who was not healed by the humanity of the flesh, for there had flown upon man's eye, as it were, dust from the earth. The eye had been diseased, and the earth was sent to heal it again. The flesh had blinded thee, the flesh restoreth thee. The soul, by consenting to carnal affections, has become carnal. Hence the eye of the mind has been blinded. Then the physician made for thee ointment. He came in such wise, as that by the flesh he destroyed the corruption of the flesh. And thus the word was made flesh, that thou mightest be able to say, We saw his glory. Chrysostom, he subjoins, as of the only begotten of the Father. For many prophets, as Moses and Elijah and others, workers of miracles, had been glorified, and angels also who appeared unto men, shining with the brightness belonging to their nature. Cherubim and seraphim also, who were seen in glorious array by the prophets. But the evangelist, withdrawing our minds from these, and raising them above all nature, and every preeminence of fellow servants, leads us up to the summit himself, as if he said, not of prophet, nor of any other man, or of angel or archangel, or any of the higher powers is the glory which we beheld, but as that of the very Lord, very King, very and true only begotten Son. Gregory, in scripture language as and as it were, are sometimes put not for likeness but reality, whence the expression as of the only begotten of the father chrysostom as if he said we saw his glory such as it was becoming and proper for the only begotten and true son to have we have a form of speech like it derived from our seeing kings always splendidly robed when the dignity of man's carriage is beyond description we say in short he went as a king so too John says, we saw his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father. For angels, when they appeared, did everything as servants who had a Lord. But he as the Lord, appearing in humble form, yet did all creatures recognize their Lord, the star calling the magi, the angels, the shepherds, the child leaping in the womb acknowledged him. Yea, the Father bore witness to him from heaven, and the paraclete descending upon him, and the very universe itself shouted louder than any trumpet, 
that the king of heaven had come for devils fled diseases were healed the graves gave up the dead and souls were brought out of the wickedness to the utmost height of virtue what shall one say of the wisdom of precepts of the virtue of heavenly laws of the excellent institution of the angelic life origin full of grace and truth of this the meaning is twofold that it may be understood of the humanity and the divinity of the incarnate word so that the fullness of grace has reference to the humanity according to which christ is the head of the church and the firstborn of every creature for the greatest and original example of grace by which man with no preceding merits is made god is manifested primarily in him the fullness of the grace of christ may also be understood of the holy spirit whose sevenfold operation filled christ's humanity the fullness of truth applies to the divinity but if you had rather understood the fullness of grace and truth of the new testament you may with propriety pronounce the fullness of the grace of the new testament to be given by christ and the truth of the legal types to have been fulfilled in him the euphilact or full of grace inasmuch as his word was gracious as saith david full of grace are thy lips in truth because what moses and the prophets spoke or did in figure christ did in reality john bare witness of him and cried saying this was he of whom i spake he that cometh after me is preferred before me for he was before me alcune he had said before that there was a man sent to bear witness now he gives definitely the forerunner's own testimony which plainly declared the excellence of his human nature and the eternity of his godhead john bear witness of him chrysostom or he introduces this as if to say do not suppose that we bear witness to this out of gratitude because we were with him a long time and partook of his table for john who had never seen him before nor tarried with him bear witness to him the evangelist repeats john's testimony many times here and there because he was held in such admiration by the jews other evangelists refer to the old prophets and say this was done that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet but he introduces a lofter and later witness not intending to make the servant vouch for the master but only condescending to the weakness of his hearers for as christ would not have been so readily received had he not taken upon him the form of a servant so if he had not excited the attention of servants by the voice of a fellow-servant beforehand there would not have been many jews embracing the word of christ it follows and cried that is preached with openness with freedom without reservation he did not however begin with asserting that this one was the natural only begotten son of god but cried saying this was he of whom i spake he that cometh after me is preferred before me for he was before me for as birds do not teach their young all at once to fly but first draw them outside the nest and afterwards try them with a quicker motion so john did not immediately lead the jews to higher things but began with lesser flights saying that christ was better than he which in the meantime was no little advance and observe how prudently he introduces his testimony he not only points to christ when he appears but preaches him beforehand
as this is he of whom I spake. This would prepare men's minds for Christ's coming, so that when he did come, the humility of his garb would be no impediment to his being received. For Christ adopted so humble and common an appearance that if men had seen him without first hearing John's testimony to his greatness, none of the things spoken of him would have had any effect. Theophylact, he saith who cometh after me, that is, as to the time of his birth, John was six months before Christ, according to his humanity. Chrysostom, or this does not refer to the birth from Mary, for Christ was born when this was said by John, but to his coming for the work of preaching. He then saith, is made before me, that is, is more illustrious, more honorable, as if he said, do not suppose me greater than he, because I came first to preach. Theophylact, the Arians infer from this word that the Son of God is not begotten of the Father, but made like any other creature. Augustine, it does not mean he was made before I was made, but he is preferred to me. Chrysostom, if the words made before me refer to his coming into being, it was superfluous to add, for he was before me. For who would be so foolish as not to know that if he was made before him, he was before him? It would have been more correct to say, he was before me, because he was made before me. The expression then, he was made before me, must be taken in the sense of honor. Only that which was to take place, he speaks of as having taken place already, after the style of the old prophets, who commonly talk of the future as the past. Verses 16 and 17, And of his fullness have we all received, in grace for grace. For the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. Origin. This is to be considered a continuation of the Baptist's testimony to Christ, a point which has escaped the attention of many, who think that from this to he hath declared him, St. John the Apostle is speaking. But the idea that on a sudden, and, as it would seem unseasonably, the discourse of the Baptist should be interrupted by a speech of the disciples is inadmissible, and anyone able to follow the passage will discern a very obvious connection here. For having said, he is preferred before me, for he was before me, he proceeds, from this I know that he is before me, because I and the prophets who preceded me have received of his fullness, and grace for grace, the second grace for the first. For they too, by the Spirit, penetrated beyond the figure to the contemplation of the truth, and hence receiving, as we have done, of his fullness, we judge that the law was given by Moses, but that grace and truth were made by Jesus Christ. Made, not given. The Father gave the law by Moses, but made grace and truth by Jesus. But if it is Jesus who says below, I am the truth, how is the truth made by Jesus? We must understand, however, that the very substantial truth, from which first truth and its image many truths are engraven on those who treat of the truth, was not made through Jesus Christ, or through anyone, but only the truth which is in individuals, such as in Paul, e.g., or the other apostles, was made through Jesus Christ. Chrysostom, or thus, John the Evangelist here adds his testimony 
to that of John the Baptist, saying, And of his fullness have we all received. These are not the words of the forerunner, but of the disciple. As if he meant to say, We also the twelve, and the whole body of the faithful, both present and to come, have received of his fullness, Augustine. But what have ye received, grace for grace, so that we are to understand that we have received a certain something from his fullness, and over above this, grace for grace, that we have received of his fullness first grace, and again we have received grace for grace. What grace did we receive? Faith which is called grace, because it is given freely. This is the first grace, then which the sinner receives, the remission of his sins. Again we have grace for grace i.e., instead of that grace in which we live by faith, we are to receive another, viz. eternal life. For eternal life is, as it were, the wages of faith. And thus, as faith itself is a good grace, so life eternal is grace for grace. There was not grace in the Old Testament, for the law threatened, but not assisted, commanded, but not healed, showed our weakness, but relieved it not, it prepared the way, however, for the physician who was about to come, with the gifts of grace and truth. Whence the sentence follows, for the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth were made by Jesus Christ. The death of thy Lord hath destroyed death, both temporal and eternal. That is the grace which was promised, not contained in the law. Chrysostom. Or we have received grace for grace, that is, the new and the place of the old. For as there is a justice and a justice besides, an adoption and another adoption, a circumcision and another circumcision, so is there a grace and another grace, only the one being a type, the other a reality. He brings in the words to show that the Jews, as well as ourselves, are saved by grace, it being of mercy and grace that they receive the law, Next, after he has said, grace for grace, he adds something to show the magnitude of the gift. For the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth were made by Jesus Christ. John, when comparing himself with Christ, above had said, he is preferred before me. But the evangelist draws a comparison between Christ and one much more in admiration with the Jews than John, viz. Moses, and observe his wisdom. He does not draw the comparison between the persons but the things, contrasting grace and truth to the law, the latter of which he said was given, a word only applying to an administrator, the former made, as we should speak of a king who does everything by his power, though in this king it would be with grace also, because that with power he remitted all sins, now his grace is shown in his gift of baptism and our adoption by the Holy Spirit and many other things. But to have a better insight into what the truth is, we should study the figures of the old law. For what was to be accomplished in the New Testament is prefigured in the old. Christ at his coming filling up the figure. Thus was the figure given by Moses, but the truth made by Christ. Augustine or we may refer grace to knowledge, truth to wisdom. Amongst the events of time, the highest grace is uniting of man to God in one person. In the eternal world, the highest truth pertains to God the Word. Verse 18. 
No man hath seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, he hath declared him. Origin. Heraclion asserts that it is a declaration of the disciple, not of the Baptist, an unreasonable supposition. For if the words of his fullness have we all received are the Baptist's, does not the connection run naturally? That he receiving the grace of Christ, the second in the place of the first grace, and confessing that the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ, understood here that no man has seen God at any time, and that the only begotten who was in the bosom of the Father had committed this declaration of himself to John, and all who with him had received of his fullness. For John was not the first who declared him, for he himself who was before Abraham tells us that Abraham rejoiced to see his glory. Chrysostom, or thus, the evangelist after showing the great superiority of Christ's gifts, compared with those dispensed by Moses, wishes in the next place to supply an adequate reason for the difference. The one being a servant was made a minister of a lesser dispensation, but the other who was Lord and son of the king brought us far higher things, being ever coexistent with the Father and beholding him. Then follows, no man has seen God at any time, etc. Augustine, what is that then which Jacob said, I have seen God face to face, and that which is written of Moses, he talked with God face to face, and that which the prophet Isaiah saith of himself, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne. Gregory, it is plainly given us to understand here that while we are in this mortal state, we can see God only through the medium of certain images, not in the reality of his own nature. A soul influenced by the grace of the Spirit may see God through certain figures, but cannot penetrate into his absolute essence. And hence it is that Jacob, who testifies that he saw God, saw nothing but an angel, and that Moses, who talked with God face to face, says, Show me thy way, that I may know thee, meaning that he ardently desired to see in the brightness of his own infinite nature him whom he had only as yet seen reflected in images. Chrysostom, if the old fathers had seen that very nature, they would not have contemplated it so variously, for it is in itself simply and without shape. It sits not, it walks not. These are the qualities of bodies. Whence he saith through the prophet, I have multiplied visions and used similitudes by the ministry of the prophets, i.e. I have condescended to them, I appeared that which I was not. For inasmuch as the Son of God was about to manifest himself to us in actual flesh, men were at first raised to the sight of God in such ways as allowed of their seeing him. Augustine. Now it is said, Blessed are the pure of heart, for they shall see God. And again, when he shall appear, we shall be like unto him, for we shall see him as he is. What is the meaning then of the words here? No man hath seen God at any time. The reply is easy. Those passages speak of God as to be seen, not as already seen. They shall see God. It is said, not they have seen him, nor is it we have seen him, but we shall see him as he is. For no man hath seen God at any time, neither in this life nor yet in the angelic, as he is 
in the same way in which sensible things are perceived by the bodily vision. Gregory. If, however, any, while inhabiting this corruptible flesh, can advance to such an immeasurable height of virtue as to be able to discern by the contemplative vision the eternal brightness of God, their case affects not what we say. For whoever seeth wisdom, that is God, is dead wholly to this life, being no longer occupied by the love of it. Augustine, for unless any in some sense die to this life, either by leaving the body altogether, or by being so withdrawn and alienated from carnal perceptions, that he may well not know, as the apostle says, whether he be in the body or out of the body, he cannot be carried away, and borne aloft to that vision. Gregory, some hold that in the place of bliss, God is visible in his brightness, but not in his nature. This is to indulge in overmuch subtlety. For in that simple and unchangeable essence, no division can be made between the nature and the brightness. Augustine, if we say that the text, no one has seen God at any time, applies only to men, so that as the apostle more plainly interprets it, whom no man hath seen nor can see, no one is to be understood here to mean, no one of men. The question may be solved in a way not to contradict what our Lord says. Their angels do always behold the face of my Father, so that we must believe that angels see what no one, i.e. of men, hath ever seen. Gregory. Some, however, there are who conceive that not even the angels see God. Chrysostom. That the very existence which is God, neither prophets, nor even angels, nor yet archangels have seen. For inquire of the angels, they say nothing concerning his substance, but sing glory to God in the highest, and peace on earth to men of good will. Nay, ask even cherubim and seraphim, thou wilt hear only in reply the mystic melody of devotion, and that heaven and earth are full of his glory. Augustine, which indeed is true so far that no bodily or even mental vision of man hath ever embraced the fullness of God. For it is one thing to see, another to embrace the whole of what thou seest. A thing is seen, if only the sight of it be caught. But we only see a thing fully, when we have no part of it unseen, when we see round its extreme limits. Chrysostom, in this complete sense, only the Son and the Holy Ghost see the Father. For how can created nature see that which is uncreated? So then no man knoweth the Father as the Son knoweth him. And hence what follows, the only begotten Son, who is in the bosom of the Father, he hath declared him, that we might not be led by the identity of the name to confound him with the sons made so by grace. The article is annexed in the first place. And then, to put an end to all doubt, the name only begotten is introduced. Hilary. The truth of his nature did not seem sufficiently explained by the name of Son, unless in addition its peculiar force, as proper to him, were expressed, so signifying its distinctiveness from all beside. For in that beside Son he calleth him also the only begotten. He cutteth off altogether all suspicion of adoption, the nature of the only begotten guaranteeing the truth of the name. Chrysostom. He adds, which is in the bosom of the Father. To dwell in the bosom 
is much more than simply to see for he who sees simply hath not the knowledge thoroughly of that which he sees but he who dwells in the bosom knoweth everything when you hear then that no one knoweth the father save the son do not by any means suppose that he only knows the father more than any other and does not know him fully for the evangelist sets forth his residing in the bosom of the father on this account viz to show us the intimate converse of the only begotten and his coeternity with the father augustine in the bosom of the father i e in the secret presence of the father for god hath not the fold on the bosom as we have nor must be imagined to sit as we do nor is he bound with a girdle so as to have a fold but from the fact of our bosom being placed innermost the secret presence of the father is called the bosom of the father he then who in the secret presence of the father knew the father the same hath declared what he saw chrysostom but what hath he declared that god is one but this the rest of the prophets and moses proclaim what else have we learnt from the son who was in the bosom of the father in the first place that those very truths which the others declared were declared through the operation of the only begotten in the next place we have received a far greater doctrine from the only begotten viz that god is a spirit and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth and that god is the father of the only begotten bede further if the word declared have reference to the past it must be considered that he being made man declared the doctrine of the trinity in unity and how by what acts we should prepare ourselves for the contemplation of it if it have reference to the future then it means that he will declare him when he shall introduce his elect to the vision of his brightness augustine yet have there been men who deceived by the vanity of their hearts maintained that the father is invisible the son visible now if they call the son visible with respect to his connection with the flesh we object not it is the catholic doctrine but it is madness in them to say he was so before his incarnation i e if it be true that christ is the wisdom of god and the power of god the wisdom of god cannot be seen by the eye if the human word cannot be seen by the eye how can the word of god Persostum. the text then no man has seen god at any time applies not to the father only but also to the son for he as paul saith is the image of the invisible god but he who is the image of the invisible must himself also be invisible end of chapter one verses fourteen through eighteen